Welcome to episode 18 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. I'm Brett Nolan of AppAct.net, and with me as always is Trevor Sheridan of App Advice. In this episode, Trevor and I take to the land, sea, and air as we launch both potatoes and Brits into space and try to keep our sanity in a post-apocalyptic world. How are you doing tonight, Trevor? Doing good. It's always nice to have three phases of land, air, and sea action. Yes. (laughs) And so this week actually has some pretty good stuff going on. And we'll start off with Apple earnings, which is always a big uh, kind of piece of news. And honestly, it's not the most exciting if you don't have Apple stock. It's kind of irrelevant. But if you do, you kind of get to see how Apple's chugging along and they're doing anything really that they can to kind of inch out and just get any kind of growth possible. And so this quarter actually was growth. Apple Q2 2016 was their first declining quarter since 2003. So here we are in Q2 2017, which is Apple's second fiscal quarter, but it's the first calendar year or first calendar quarter of 2017, so January through March. And Apple earned $52.9 billion in revenue and $11 billion in profit. And that's the slightest uptick from the $50.6 billion and $10.5 billion that they posted in Q2 2016. It's about 4.5% increase for each one, respectively. Yeah, finally, year over year, they went up a little bit. I mean, obviously, it's down from, from last quarter, but where, where you really kind of, with Apple, have to compare the same quarter different years to really get a better picture because they tend to stick around those numbers, same sorts of numbers every year. Uh, but it's nice to see, even though it's a, not a huge increase, an actual increase. Yeah, 4.5% isn't major, but when you make $50 billion, the percentages do get smaller as you get in that rarefied air. And yes. <laughs> Apple, you know, they were right in the middle of their guidance for the quarter. And then in terms of unit numbers, the iPhone sold 50.8 million units, but that's actually down from the 51.1 million that they sold in the year ago quarter. And iPhone is usually the one area that they always have growth in. And that was probably the biggest warning sign from their quarterly earnings. Well, I think the problem is people are kind of on a wait and see now at this point. They want to see what this next iPhone is going to be. Is it going to be amazing? Is it going to just be kind of lame? We don't know. But I think people are kind of holding off on waiting to buy more iPhones until they know what this thing is going to be. Yeah, and Tim Cook hinted at that same fact, especially because now everyone kind of understands the cyclical nature of when Apple's going to upgrade their phones. So you know, if you didn't get the iPhone 7 by now, the iPhone 8 is coming in September. So you only have that many more months to wait. So it's probably best on waiting. And then in terms of the iPad, it's down to 8.92 million from 10.25 million. And that's just a decrease from the year previous again for the ipad right and this actually included their launch day sale of that new cheaper priced ipad as well and that red iphone 7 and 7 plus so even just 
at least from first day sales, that push of that less expensive iPad didn't couldn't even push up that number to the point where it was more than what they did last year at this point. So, yeah, I mean, it's that's still kind of telling as well that they can even drop the price of the iPad dramatically and still people aren't buying it. And so either they have to come out with something new or it's just the market is so saturated with these iPads at this point that people don't need the, to replace them. They work fine unless Apple purposely makes them obsolete by doing something with iOS where they force you to upgrade. People just aren't buying them in the numbers they used to. Yeah, I think the iPad initial numbers kind of threw off what to expect for the tablet market because in terms of the Macs, Apple bumped up from 4.03 up to 4.20 million. So it's a small increase, but it's only at 4 million because the Mac is kind of in that legacy state. It's for a very specific subset of people. And it seems like the iPad's heading that way. Those numbers of double-digit millions just isn't sustainable for a device that costs as much as it does and lasts relatively a while. You know, an older iPad isn't a bad device today, and I think that's the problem Apple's facing. Right, right. Yeah, they made them too good that they last too long, and people just don't need one every single year. And, I mean, you eventually run out of space for number of iPads within your home. So, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to recover from this. They really just need another market, another device, something to fill in the void for these things that are starting to drop off. Well, that's where services and other came into play. Services set a record. That's pretty much the iTunes store, app store, all that good stuff. It set a record for a 13-week quarter. So people are buying apps for the devices they do have. And then the other section has the Apple Watch plus AirPods. And that also is growing pretty substantially. Apple didn't break it out. But their wearable portion is becoming its own kind of standalone portion of the company. Yeah, I mean, and this is what they need to do. They need to start diversifying uh, because certain markets are just not the way they used to be. So, I mean, it's good. Well, I, I think we're going to start to see more trends like this over the coming quarters where the money's going to have to shift elsewhere. And it'll be interesting to see what happens. Apple does now have $256.8 in cash and marketable securities. So they can take a few down quarters if they ever get to that point or they can throw it all at various acquisitions or shovel money down a car they can do all kinds of different things with that much money <laughs> yeah i mean we'll see what happens i i i don't know i guess i'm hoping this new iphone is is fantastic but there were rumors recently that now it's going to be pushed out further that they're not going to be ready in time so who knows if that could hurt them too if that if that ends up becoming true yep and that fantastic device might come with a fantastic price. <laughs> I hope it's a fantastic price, not an insanely high price. A fantastical price. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so that's pretty much the Apple news for the week. But there is some new apps, and one is pretty just noteworthy in that it's Hulu Live TV. We talked about YouTube TV a couple weeks back, and this is the new edition for your choices. So you have Hulu Live TV, YouTube TV, Sling TV, DirecTV Now, and PlayStation View to choose from. And they all have various price points, channel lineups. So you have a bunch of different options. And for Hulu Live TV in specific, it's $39.99 and you get 50 channels. And then it also 
has the DVR functionality, which is popular within these services, and that's pretty in line with everything else. YouTube's 35 bucks, but it offers eight fewer channels. Sling TV is $5 more for the same channel package. PlayStation View is $5 more, but you get 10 more channels. DirecTV, Sling, and PlayStation View have multiple tiers of different channel lineups and different price comparison and points. But Hulu Live TV is just one option, one choice, and one package. Right, and all these different... Uh, offerings they have different numbers of devices you can watch them on simultaneously so like this new hulu tv you can watch on two devices simultaneously and then if you want to go above that then you can pay i think it's like another four dollars a month and that cuts out commercials so i'm guessing there must be additional commercial i think that it allows the dvr i think to skip through commercials and then it also allows you to have unlimited uh, numbers of devices at home or three on-the-go devices, and then you can add additional devices um, at $14.99. And then also that there's ways to bump up your your storage on your DVR to like 200 gigs. So they have all these add-ons to bump it up. But it really comes down with all these services for the live TV portion, you have to see if they even offer live TV in your area. So most of these do not for me. I, I'm in the Boston area, and the only thing we can ever get with the, any of these services seems to be CBS. They won't give us live ABC or NBC or any other channels. So that's really, I think, going to be the determining factor for a lot of people. If the, you're looking to really cut the cord and you want to still have live TV but don't want to deal with like a HD antenna, then it's going to come down to that live TV portion for a lot of people. The one kind of piece that Hulu has that these other ones don't is the original content because it's directly competing with Netflix and Amazon on original content. Like they just launched Handmaid's Tale this past weekend. And you get all of that Hulu content in addition to this new 50-channel lineup. And then Hulu has that built-in recognition. You can go back, say you missed um, Legion on FX, you can watch that. Or you need to catch up on Modern Family. You have all that you know, existing kind of built-in knowledge of Hulu, and now they're expanding and building it out. Right, yeah, that is a huge plus for the Hulu one, that you get access to what would normally be like their seven ninety nine a month service. You get all that content as well. I think there was a way on their on their page to subscribe, to subscribe for instead of $39.99, to subscribe for $38.99 a month and not get the all the Hulu content. Like, why you wouldn't pay an extra buck a month to get <laughs> all that content? It makes no sense to me. But I guess if you're looking to save $12 a year, you, you might want to do it. But yeah, that is a huge plus with them that you do get access to all that content as well. And then if you were using the Hulu app on the Apple TV as well as iOS, it was updated to support this live TV functionality, but it's not... Just that. They gave a full facelift to the entire interface to make it more minimalistic and make it easier to jump right back into shows. So essentially, as soon as you launch up the app on the Apple TV, it's this single kind of green screen with a white text column on the side. And then you're one button away from resuming or continuing whatever you're watching. Like if you watched episode six of a show, one button you're watching episode seven. So they made it easier to get into stuff whether you access live TV or not. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's been a while since I've subscribed to Hulu, so I haven't tried it out yet, but cool. Yep. And so 
like you said, it comes down to what channels you want and what fits best for you. But now you have five distinct, really valuable choices available to you. Yeah, yeah. Cutting the cord has never been easier at this point. You, and, if you, and most of these offer free trials, too. So you're free to try them all out and see which one fits you best. Or even the maybe it even comes down to interface for you if all the channel lineups kind of line up the same for you. So maybe just which interface do you like the best or which devices are you going to watch on? So uh, definitely try them all out and, and see what you like. Yep, and that's Hulu Live TV. It's thirty nine ninety nine and includes fifty channels. And then there's some new games, and the first one is Battle Bay. It comes from Rovio. It's been soft launched for quite a while, and it's really another major impact to kind of diversify their portfolio beyond just Angry Birds. So in this case, it's a real time strategy game that's set on the high seas, and you control a little battle boat. And you try to defeat your enemies. It's five-on-five, real-time action, all online connectivity. And it's really comes down to piloting your ship away from damage and trying to get into line of fire to attack enemies and try to destroy them before they destroy you. Right, and you have a, a variety of different boat types you can choose and then also various weapon types. So you have these slots on your boat where you can... Uh, equip things, either their weapons or their things that might help you, like shields or things to speed up your boat, or I, I forget what the third item is, but there's a third type as well. And you have a limited number of slots based on your boat, and as you upgrade, then you get better boats that have more spots on them, and then different weapon types, like a more powerful weapon, might take up two of those weapon slots. So you have to balance of what am I going to put on my boat and what what's going to take up all the slots? Do I have room to put two different weapons? Because different weapons will have different cooldown periods. So you have to decide how heavy artillery you want to put on there to really vary your attack style and how you can best support your team. If you have a whole bunch of people that all have short-range weapons, maybe you want something longer. So it's, a, it's an interesting set up and it, it i don't i didn't notice the free to play getting that annoying i i don't know about you but it seemed to be fairly friendly i mean it was a little slow to upgrade certain things but overall it wasn't too bad i was mainly just concerned of jumping into the action and actually just doing the five on five battles it's a really well balanced combat system because it's an arena so there's not that much room to kind of get lost or not find enemies it seems like there's always constant action of fires coming at you or you firing upon opponents so that keeps you focused and in the action and then it seems balanced relatively well so you don't come across this hugely upgraded ship that kills you in one shot everyone seems to be balanced relatively well there's a lot of players online it connects really quickly and it maintains that connection throughout. So they nailed all those aspects. The one kind of part that I was tripping up on is that once you win the battle, you kind of just want to play again. And it's like, here are some menus of upgrades and menus of stuff. I don't want menus of stuff. I just want to go and battle bay. I don't want to upgrade <laughs> bay or any of that kind of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I, I see what you mean. Yeah, it, there, it does steer you to try to go back and do things that potentially will get you to spend money rather than just letting you battle after battle after battle. Where I mean, I understand if you had free stuff, why not let me in and see if I want to do this? But 
for the most part, I pretty much have stuck with the same ship once I found a combination that worked really well. I did have a little trouble with the steering at first. It's a little awkward because you can end up start backing up the ship by accident rather than going forward when you're trying to angle in the proper direction. And so I had a little bit of problems with the steering at first, but you, eventually you get the hang of it. But uh, pretty much all I have on my ship is something to help me go faster because otherwise, at least that initial shooter ship they give you is pretty darn slow. And then uh, I have a long-range weapon that does a lot of damage. So it has a pretty long cooldown, but I can steer and just – you basically just drag back. You hit the, the little fire button, and then that gives you like an aiming arc. And then you can aim where you want that to go, and it, you see a little target appear on the water of exactly where you're going to go. And then you release, and then it fires, and then you have to wait the cooldown in order to use it again. But it's – it's a nice, simple interface for firing. You can easily aim. And then you can also, while you're on the water, easily see if enemy fire is going to be coming at you because all of a sudden a large target will appear underneath you that's red. So you know that's danger and you just want to get out of there. So you start trying to steer your ship out of the path of the enemy. And it's it's just a nice, simple interface that is super user-friendly that anyone can just hop in and start playing. And like you said with the the connectivity i was surprised at how well it worked there was no lag there was no disconnecting it just connected and you were good to go and the game started and everyone seemed pretty balanced and you could just fight away yeah they did a really good job on that part and it's really just simple kind of straightforward fun to maneuver around and try to take out your opponents like you said I, my ship, the original one they gave me, I upgraded it a few times, and I'm pretty much set to go. I've been, you know, the last one standing and winning, like, the battle where every single setup. I've won, like, five matches in a row. It's just really well done and able to kind of fully enjoy what's offered. And the free-to-play stuff, I don't even notice what it is or... I know what it is, but I don't need it. You know, I don't right, need the gold exactly, bars yes. or the stars or stuff because I'm. it's not like I'm getting smashed every time I play because they balanced it well in terms of matchmaking with the upgrades on your ship. Exactly. Yep. I know exactly what you mean. And so that's Battle Bay. It's free. It's universal. And Rovio really did a good job with this one. It yep. kind of reminds me of Cats from a couple weeks back where... Zeptolab did a really good job with online connectivity and balancing the game, but this one is a completely different style. It's more action in your, you know, you have direct control of your ship and taking out enemies. That game is more about your ship con or your bot construction. Right, exactly, yeah. And so next up is Space Plan, which is an interesting game because it gives you the simplest mechanic that's available on the App Store, but it combines it with a unique kind of sci-fi narrative. And so it's a clicker game, but each click that you're kind of tapping the screen, you're producing and generating energy for your ship that is orbiting around this planet. And the planet is a mystery. You really are unsure about the makeup of the planet or what exactly any aspects. Are there inhabitants? What the atmosphere is like? And so you're going to build up energy to find out more about it. So first you start out building your solar panels so you actually have energy. And then you launch potato probes to first circle around the planet and then ones that actually go down to the planet to drill in 
and then some might get burnt up in the atmosphere so you have to upgrade the potatoes or then you have sputnik style probes or then potato towers that tap right into the actual planet to get more energy and you have that constant clicker cycle where you build stuff upgrade that stuff so then you can generate more energy and then that gets you to higher tiers of things to unlock and find out more about this planet right yeah so they've solved the biggest problem with a clicker clickers tend to be so boring because you're just tapping away and it's just the whole point is to unlock higher producing things so something that'll earn you the whatever you're clicking to earn faster and this takes i mean there is an aspect of that in in this game as well but because of that narrative story it leads you to want to continue and continue to go through it and upgrade and there's a reason behind upgrading you need to do this because they want to explore the planet or you now your your th your probes are burning up so you need to upgrade and add foil around them so they don't burn up so it is purposely having you do certain things so you feel like there's a reason behind it not just incessant tapping and hope that you can just increase your yield and earn the most money possible and so at least it makes it engaging and interesting and you have a desire to continue to play beyond that initial thrill of just seeing that number scroll up faster and faster as you go and yeah it really emphasizes those focused goals it seems like there's always a next specific step to get to like you know you unlock the one phase and then you're right on to the next phase. You have, okay, I need to get 6 million. Okay, now I need to get 20 million. So you always have the specific goal. And that really gives you the incentive. Because then you also get to see the little red planet in the middle of the screen. And the little orbiting things that you've had. Or the pieces that go right into the planet. And then there's the funny idea that everything's potato based. So you have Spudnik or Potato Plant or Tater Tower or Spud Gun. They're all potato based pieces that you're going to be sending into the system so it's kind of relatively crazy even with the somewhat grounded sci-fi idea of what's going on with this planet yeah i think on steam you can even order the game and they'll mail you a potato with your steam code printed on the <laughs> potato so <laughs> it's crazy but yes uh, so uh, yeah, it's, I, I'm glad that someone's taking that clicker mentality and doing something more meaningful with it and making it. So I, I was a little concerned once I realized this was a clicker, but then when you see this little section, the word outputter, and all of a sudden this content starts coming through and it's a story that's taking you through. I mean, it's just, you want to play more and you get engaged. And I think that's a, I, a much better experience than any clicker that I played thus far. Exactly. I don't even find myself clicking the screen that much. It's more yeah, about yeah. kind of timely upgrades, focused upgrades, and then you can leave it because you've upgraded it really well. And then when you come back, a big chunk has been earned, and then you're ready to do some big major upgrade to get some more story text in the upper right corner. Right, and it leads you through it, and it tells you, like, I'm only going to earn you five for five minutes while you're gone. If you would like more, then this is where you need to go, the next area you need to upgrade of, and it makes sense that you're upgrading this. Like, it's not just an arbitrary thing, like, I need this. It feels like it, it fits the story, fits what you're doing, which is good. Yep, and that's Space Planets 299, it's universal. 
And then this game actually came out last week, but we had a jam-packed outline. So it's we're <laughs> going to talk about this week. The, the game is The Bunker, which is a really interesting kind of style. It takes that familiar choice-based kind of cinematic adventure game and continues it, makes it more deluxe. It's kind of like uh, Night Shift, if you've ever played that game. Where okay, I was going to that, yeah. Yeah, it's cinematic quality. Like, it's real actors portraying the current setting rather than like a telltale cartoon art style. It's real kind of movie-esque. And then you're going to have specific points to tap on to just tell the character what to do, what to focus on. And then you'll also have kind of what direction to go through the bunker. So the story is a post-apocalyptic setting where nuclear bombs have gone off and you play as this guy who was born pretty much the day it happened. And so it's now set 30 years in the future. He's lived his entire life in the bunker. And he goes about having a specific routine. Like he takes his vitamins and then he checks the radio to see if there's any signals. And then he goes, checks on his mom. And he has a very specific routine. And then one day the computer system says there's a problem and so now it's kind of thrown him out of whack and you have to help him through kind of dealing with the problems that occur in the bunker yeah this looks really interesting like it looks really well made how long was the is the whole thing do you know i i don't know i'm only the... like an hour and a half into the game okay. so i have no okay. idea how long the total game is but it's longer than an hour and a half i know that Okay, so, I mean, even if it's two hours, I mean, then it feels like you're going through an entire movie, which, yeah, yeah, I mean, it looks like it's really well produced. It definitely is. The one thing, it's kind of methodical in terms of the opening idea, because first it gets you into the main character's routine. So you kind of feel that routine that he's into and just kind of realize the boring idea of imagine you're the only person left living in a bunker and you have daily things you need to do that's going to be relatively boring and kind of mind-numbing so it gets you into that routine so that way (laughs) it can break that routine when something crazy happens to kind of have you in the same mindset as the character well i mean if they're doing it that way then i'm fine with that because it helps to drive the story forward yes that's cool yeah It's a really well-produced game, really neat idea, and the story takes a little bit to ramp up, but once it does get in there, you have all these interesting little pieces to choose to go into. So, like, say there's the door along the hallway or this main computer room. You can go straight to that, or there might be three little touchable points in the environment, so you can access this computer or tape recording over here, and that will further develop the story and kind of the background of this character, or you can choose to bypass it and just you know, ramrod your way through. I'm doing the more kind of slow, methodical, completionist idea of tapping on everything that's available. So maybe that's why yeah. it's taking me a little bit longer. So now, it, it gives you, you the that touch point. No, it shows you the touch points for everything on the screen, or do you have to kind of find them? No, they're all shown. So you'll open the room, and the tape recorder, the computer, and the fax machine will all have a tap point on them. That's all that's tappable in the environment. Okay, okay. And that's the bunker. It's four ninety nine. It's universal. And if you like Night Shift or any of those kind of 
cinematic telltale adventure games, you'll be right at home with the bunker. Cool. And I want to mention a venture game as well. This one did come out this week and it's called Her Majesty's Spiffing. And it's a funny, satirical, very British adventure game where it's it's set just after Brexit has happened. And now uh, Britain has found itself increasingly isolated from the global society. And Her Majesty, the Queen, decides to retake power because she doesn't like where things are going. And she wants to make Britain like a superpower again. So she can't really do that in the current state. So what she decides to do is look towards space to basically make it a new galactic British empire. And that's when she forms the spiffing, which stands for special planetary investigative force for inhabiting new galaxies. So right there, you already know this is kind of weird and humorous. And one of the things I really like about the game is they completely break the fourth wall constantly. So it basically follows two different two characters. There's uh, you're in this HMS. Uh, what's called HMS Imperialize. That's your your spaceship that you're up in space and you basically are controlling one main character who's Captain Frank Lee English. And then he has a sidekick who looks a lot like Harry Potter, who's a Welsh guy, a young Welshman named Alad. And you are basically just moving around the ship trying to solve puzzles. And he's constantly referring to the fact that you're going to be solving puzzles or that's the way you end up doing this. And it just doesn't take itself seriously. And it's so well written and humorous that I just am thoroughly enjoying the whole story as I'm going through it. And while the puzzles themselves are fairly straightforward, they're not super challenging, just the way the whole game is written and just that whole storyline, it just makes you want to play through. And it's just just fun to play. And not only that, it really looks good. Like the 3D world they've created is pretty deluxe looking. Yeah, you definitely can tell this was ported over from like consoles and PC because it's kind of an odd setup, different from what you would normally do in like a point and click adventure game. You can tap and the character will move to where you've tapped. But the other option you have is just to touch the screen at any point and it becomes like a, a virtual D stick. And then you can move around the the main Frank English character and move him around to go move him towards a door. So, I mean, that aspect of it does get a little tedious because anywhere you want to move to, you could tap, but then he's still kind of slow and you're not necessarily going to see the thing on screen that you want to tap. So it's not like a, a single screen sort of thing that a lot of these point-and-click adventures are because he can move around you actually have to move him around the the room that he's in in order to see the things you can tap on and as soon as you're near something you can tap on you tap on it and then you get this little pop-up that gives you four options one is to kind of look at it and inspect it one is to talk to it which he has all kinds of funny dialogue if you try to talk to inanimate objects 
and then there's one to pick it up or interact with it. And then the fourth one allows you, if you've equipped something from your inventory, you can now use that item against whatever you're interacting with. So it's it's super easy. There's a nice little inventory system. Any of the inventory items, you can click on them and examine them, and it pops up in this 3D view that you can rotate the entire object. And sometimes you will need to rotate the object to find something else you can interact with on that object. You can combine objects as well. And it's all your typical point and click adventure stuff. But yes, it is that rich 3D like actual space that you can walk around and 3D characters you're moving around along with all of the great voice acting and uh, the other graphical fidelity stuff. So it's more like that classic point and click adventure style or is it more like a modern kind of like the way the trace does it or the room might do it where it's more puzzle adventure? Uh, no, it's that typical point and click adventure style. Like you like are the trying classic to find... Sierra style. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yes. You're trying yeah, okay. to find objects and then uh, figure out how they have to interact with each other. He'll give you like you can you can talk to Alad and he'll give you kind of a clue of what you need to do. But even then, he doesn't give you that many clues. Uh, and then he'll just give you what your next mission to do is. So it doesn't give you a clue of exactly how to solve this mission. But it's you need to go find him some drivers to to load onto this device. So now you got to figure out where is there a computer or where can I find these drivers and how do I get that? So then you have to explore the ship and go around and look for items and look for things you can interact with. Okay. And so that's Her Majesty's Spiffing. It's three ninety nine. It's universal. And I think that's everything for episode 18. Yep. That's all I got. To everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later.